Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our work at chicagojustice.org, and you can get involved at cjpnation.org. And you can also find out more about the police board at our police accountability transparency website at cpbinfocenter.org. Okay, today we are going to talk about a couple issues. Uh, argument in front of the Illinois Supreme Court related to the Freedom of Information Act and probably one of the stupidest, most probably exploitive cases you've ever seen in Chicago related to lawyers and activists, I think, exploiting um, a victim of supposedly a, a victim of police misconduct that put them away for many years. And then we're going to talk about Fox News, how they can Fox News Chicago, about how they continue to exploit violence. And God almighty, are they stenographers? And then we're going to finish this week's episode with a story about Pritzker, Governor Pritzker fucking up alternative response. God damn, the Democrats are so weak and stupid. It's scary. This is a really dumb move and a, a total cave um, on alternative response. So we'll get into that in a, at the end of the show today. Um, just real quick for the little heads up, we have interviews next week with Professor Vargas at the University of Chicago, who runs the, the a Justice Project out of the University of Chicago. And we're also interviewing Dan Milahopoulos from WBEZ Radio. So those will be coming up in the next couple of uh, episodes that drop before we end the season and take a little bit of a break before coming back with season three. Okay, our first story. Headline is attorney argues before Illinois Supreme Court for release of 50 years of Chicago police misconduct records. So Charles Green spent many years in prison, eventually got out because the case kind of fell apart. It certainly fell apart about other people that were involved. He gets out. As you know, Craig Futterman, Jamie Calvin, University of Chicago, Invisible Institute, where you know, they've been waging a war through FOIA and the courts to open up police accountability records, going back decades, stopping the CPD from destroying them, and then trying to open them up. Charles Casaglad, who's been a guest on this show before, filed a FOIA for allegedly, allegedly I say, for his client, Charles Green, so he could get misconduct files to prove his innocence. I haven't really seen 100% the connection between the misconduct files and proving his innocence. But the FOIA is filed. The city of Chicago, the police department specifically, fails to respond within the first five days, which they're legally obligated to do. When they do not, according to the law, it waives their ability to claim overly burdensome, that exemption. So, and they're talking, they're talking, Casaglad asked for decades of police accountability files. They eventually turn it down, I believe, for overly burdensome. Casaglad sues. The, he wins in the trial court. Now, yes, legally, by the law, you should say he should win that, right? The problem is you're talking probably hundreds of thousands of pages of documents, maybe even more, over decades. 
maybe millions of pages of documents. If there ever was a case for overly burdensome, that would be it. Although I do think the city should digitize those records and make them public. Casaglag sues, trial court, he wins. The city then comes in and meets with him and offers, because Casaglag is supposedly, theoretically, representing his client, Charles Green, who is broke, is still a convicted felon, just got out. I think he got a sentence commuted. He has no work. The city offers Charles Green, Casaglag's theoretical client, or client, but whether he's actually representing Green and in the best interest of Green is questionable here, as you'll see through the story. They, they offered Green $500,000 to drop the case. And then they go and they start working on ordinances that are going to open up some of the files or maybe not open up the specific files after 1990, but it will put some metadata, the officer, the charges, what the results were and stuff into a database. Then they were only going to put sustained complaints in a database because Democrats suck. The city council's weak as shit. Um, they, most of them are just conservatives, right? They're just conservatives height, you know, um, in the clothes of an alleged Democrat. They certainly aren't liberal and they certainly aren't progressive, 95% of them. So I talked to Jamie Calvin, who was involved in this at the Chicago Council of Lawyers, like monthly meeting. He spoke at it and I said, I don't know what you're, how you're doing. Though no way the city is both going to give you all the files and open up all the files and give Charles Green the $500,000. If Charles Green is, in fact, the client and you're supposed to be working as an activist on his behalf and not using him to open these files, then Charles Green being broke and an ex-felon with not a lot of prospects at work should take the $500,000, which I think if it comes as part of a settlement like this is tax-free that comes out of a court settlement, he needs that money. They did not take it. That was a major, major, major screw up. Once again, it makes you question, who in the hell are they representing? Because even if, if Charles Green is able to prove his innocence, which if he is innocent, God, I hope he can, right? But what does, maybe it's a, a thing about uh, being, uh, it's a thing about his spirit or his mentality that it's more important to Charles Green to have the innocence claim, even though that really isn't going to prove his social circumstances whatsoever, than it is the $500,000. I'm not so sure that decision was ever made by Charles Green. So they got none. They went to the appellate court to force the city to turn over the documents or the city appealed the ruling and the city won. So what happened about a week or two weeks ago is Kasiglag, uh appealed it to the Illinois Supreme Court and they had oral arguments. I think it'll be a few months before we find out. But let's say just out of, just for shits, Kasiglag wins. The city's got to develop a mechanism and staff it. It's going to be years and years and years and years before any of those records be made public. And what is not in this suit is the $500,000 for Charles Green. I'm at a loss here, people. If indeed the, the, what they were doing this all about was the interest of Charles Green, 
seems like Green got screwed in favor of trying to open these records. My bet is the Illinois Supreme Court looks at the reality of opening all these files and sides with the city. We will see. Either way, it does not seem like Green is ever going to get that money. Hope it's worth it. I hope the activists are happy. Maybe Charles Green is totally on board with this. My heart of hearts says he's not. But I think he'd rather have the half a million dollars. I think it wouldn't. Um, from my outsider perspective, it seems like it could literally change his life. But maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong. I hope the activists aren't using him. But I'm getting the sneaky suspicion they are doing just that. Okay, on to our next segment. And this is Illinois billionaire donates $25 million to help curb Chicago violence. And let's see if I can figure out with my uh, being, oh, no, that's right. It, there's no one wrote this. This is by Fox 32 News. It's a Fox 32 News story, but there is no one, there's no byline. And it's a very short story. But it's worth, um, it's worth taking a look at. So this is Ken Griffin of Citadel, the devil that is Ken Griffin. Alt-right, right-wing ex extremist, in my view, loved Rom, um, loves anything that does not help people of color. He is down for it. So what is happening here, this billionaire did not donate $25 million to help curb gun violence. That's a lie. If the University of Chicago or the University of Chicago Crime Lab or Ken Griffin in their press release that they send out about this to make this story, said that's why they did it. They should be called out for their lying because they're lying. It's a lie. Let's get to what's actually going on here. So, like I said, it could have been the University of Chicago Griffin's press release that came out and said, we're doing it to, call, you know, to reduce gun violence, help curb gun violence. Or this could just be Fox News exploiting violence for clicks. In Chicago, would those horrors do that? I mean, come on, they're, they're, they're incapable of that, right? I mean, it's television news. Local television news doesn't exploit crime and violence. Oh, excuse me. Oh, that's right. They do all the time, every night. So maybe it's Fox News. So what's going on here? Billion, billionaire Ken Griffin and Michael Sachs gave Crime Lab, the Chicago Crime Lab at the, the Chicago Crime Lab at the University of Chicago, which I think is now called the Urban Labs, but there's a part of it that is, I think, a sub part of it that's actually still called the crime lab. They gave 27.5 million, 25 million from Griffin. Michael Sachs gave 2.5 million. Is this there really to help curb violence? Well, not at all. It's a lie. It is, it is, it is. So it's, it is to help set up a police management academy. So it's basically to help professionalize and train police officers from around the country. And by the way, let's get back to this key issue here. The CPD is not an active partner. It doesn't mean CPD may not send people through this professional's academy. Over to hell that police management academy, but they're not part of it. They were not part of setting this up because God knows the police department in Chicago doesn't need professionalizing. Holy Schmidt doesn't need help with management. 
This is basically a totally bogus frame. It is not here to help curb gun violence or Chicago violence at all. It's a police, and this goes to the article of sorts, whatever you want to call this little press release they ran. The Policing Management Camp, Police Management Academy aims to professionalize departments by educating their leaders through coaching, accountability, and data-driven decision-making. Is that a bad idea? Not at all. But there's a huge problem. The main problem in these departments, corruption, brutality, racism, blue wall of silence is not being addressed. If you think this policing management academy is a good idea, then if you take, you know, you're only going to probably get a couple from, let's say you get a couple from any one department, but the larger ones. You're going to get 50, 25, 50, 100, let's say, from the, the Chicago Police Department. The police department has 10 or 11,000 officers. What is training 50 or 100 going to do? The problem, when you talk about corruption, brutality, racism, blue wall of silence, the problem is the culture of the department. And training people in a new way of doing things and then sending them back to that same culture is that really going to make a difference? Maybe when you get departments that are 5, 20, 50, you know, size departments, 100 maybe, and you train the whole upper management or you, you, or you put maybe all the supervisors and their upper management through this policing management academy, maybe that helps break the, the culture within that, those smaller departments. Maybe. Because even though you have coaching and accountability and data-driven decision-making, you still have to affect. Those new skills have to change the way officers police on the street. So I don't think it's a horrible idea by any stretch. I First of all, the frame is awful. The headline's a lie. I, especially in large departments, the culture's the problem. Break the culture. Show me how this or anything else you want to do breaks the culture, now we may be talking. I think in Chicago, we're talking about this exodus of experienced officers or that have been on the department and taken their pensions or 15, 17, 18 years and they're moving to other departments. Those are officers that haven't really been received real hands-on formal training since they left the academy, unless they just did it now as they're trying to train officers again in person uh, to come in um, to alignment with the consent decree. You're looking at an officer 20, 25 years on the job. They haven't been back to the academy in those 20 or 25 years unless they voluntarily signed up for some extra type of training, like um, the crisis response. And the CPD only trained a small number on that or how to use the rifle. We can go into that about how screwed up that training was. I had scoop from insiders. So I, I think there's an opportunity in Chicago to maybe take a huge swing at breaking this culture or significantly impacting it. But the CPD right now would have to, and it ain't going to happen under Brown because he's a, he's a disgrace, David Brown, superintendent. Go to our website, search David Brown, and you'll get um, the hidden suspension that we found in his time in Dallas. But he's a disgrace as a superintendent. I think he's awful. 
And he is certainly not going to send all of the management, all of the supervisors through new training. Um, and honestly, he would have to get retrained and that ain't going to happen. He is far too arrogant for that. I hope I am wrong, but I don't see any major impact this is going to have in, in larger departments over maybe 50 officers, maybe 100, but I doubt that much, that, that high. You're basically going to see limited to no impact whatsoever in large departments. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I really do. I just don't think I am. I don't think it's evil by any stretch. I just think it's going to fail. Because that is just how that is just how it works. I hope I'm wrong. I really, really do. Okay. Our last story here today is a story from Jeremy Gorner. I know we never talk about his work. I don't really think we're talking about his work necessarily as, as much as we are as, as like in this issue. The governor is just unbelievably, mind-blowingly, horrifically wrong. So the headline of the article is Governor J.B. Pritzker signs bill for co-responder policing in cities, including Waukegan. Co-responder. Uh-oh. Yep, they fucked up right from the beginning. Headline should have read something like program and automatic failure upon signing by the governor. Let's get to the article. Governor J.B. Pritzker on Tuesday signed into law a series of bills aiming at addressing gun violence and other crime through measures that include a pilot program in some cities that will team social workers with police officers on certain calls. Here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. And we've talked about it on this show many times. We're doing research on Cahoots. We've had people from Cahoots on the live show, YouTube, Facebook. It's embedded up there. Or definitely we have them on the podcast, too. Tim Black, and I forgot the woman, Ebony, and I forgot Ebony's last name. She now runs the um, crisis response program. Both super smart. They work for a program called Cahoots. It's at the White Bird Clinic in Eugene and now Springfield, Oregon. This program has been active 34 years. Let that sink in. Not three or four months, not three or four years, 34 years. And what they've come to learn in this crisis response that does not involve the police is the uniform, the gun, and the power of the law showing up in these situations where they are not needed are the problem. It is not about sticking a cop with a social worker. It's about getting the cop out of the situation completely. Completely. But our lieutenant governor and our governor, who should know better, either don't or they totally politically caved to the Republicans. What can I say? Cave, cave, cave. So did our, our legislators. Cave, cave, cave. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. The uniform and gun and the power of the law are the problem. The co-responder model with the police showing up is not going to work. This is what, there's two trials in Chicago. One, I think, is a social worker and a paramedic. And another one's like a social worker or a paramedic with a cop. That latter co-responder model is not going to work. We know this from what is three decades plus, almost three and a half decades of experience at the Whitebird Clinic. This is a joke. It is 100% doomed to fail. 
This isn't about putting a social worker with cops and keeping cops responding to as many calls as they were before. It's about getting them out of responding at all, taking away whole swaths of their responsibility for 911 calls and getting them out of that business of showing up to things that they have no business being at. They're not trained for, they don't have the tools to solve. If you're dealing with a homeless guy in front of a business or a guy on experiencing a mental health crisis that does not seem violent or um, someone high on drugs that's bothering people on the street or in the middle of a mental crisis, mental health crisis bothering people on the street, the gun, the badge, the officer, the uniform, the power of the law will only make it worse. Here's back at the article. One of the new laws creates and funds a co-responder pilot program that calls for police officers to team up with social workers to look for ways to help troubled and potentially violent people instead of putting them under arrest. Potentially violent. This is a buzzword for the cult of policing. They think, and it, it helps them stay protected to some extent, that everyone is potentially violent. This is wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Wrong, wrong, wrong. When someone dials 911 because there's a medical issue, why don't the police show up to every time a, a, a paramedic or fireman show up to a scene? Why aren't the police there with their guns out protecting people? Everyone's potentially violent. This is buzzwords and bullshit from the police cult and the police supporter cult, which I don't understand. Why do we want cops showing up to scenes where their gun, their badge, and their uniform, and the power of the law makes things worse. They are not trained to handle. They don't have the tools to handle. They don't have the tools to find a long-term solution for. Their solution is to arrest people, which quite often makes the situation worse and certainly makes the long-term prospects of finding a solution much, much worse. It's just an absolute... Absolute, absolute joke. This is a, not a step in the right direction. This is a step in the wrong direction. I can almost assure you these models will either fail or the data will be manipulated to show them failing. I mean, show them winning, even though they failed. The Whiteberg Clinic has 34 years experience. In those 34 years doing crisis response on the street under their CAHOOTS program, I don't know what the crisis, um, I don't know what the A stands for, but cahoots, it starts crisis something, helping out on the street. Their way they respond is offering the least intervention in the person's life as possible. So for resolving the solution is getting a person a pair of shoes or some clothes or a meal or talking people down when they're arguing, whatever is the least response possible. They will at times call the police if need be, if they worried about someone having a very serious potential to harm themselves or someone else, or if they're experiencing a very bad issue with drugs or mental health and they need to be held because they are a danger to themselves, they will call for that response. But 99% of the time, they help that person on the street in their immediate needs to relieve the problem and then go on their way. In those 34 years, they've had a few people roughed up, but no serious injuries. In 34 years, they know what they're doing. But politicians in Chicago and Illinois and Cook County are so weak, so weak. 
And I don't understand why this is viewed as a negative thing for policing instead of positive thing. Taking calls away from the police and getting people responses um, that are more in tune for what they need can only be a win-win. I don't understand. And the hacks in the police supporter community, the union and other hacks, politicians, Paul Vallis, soon to be former Alderman Raymond Lopez, Alderman Spizzato, Napolitano, New, uh, no, I'm not sure if Nugent's there, but um, they don't want, they, they, they view the taking away of calls as somehow anti-police instead of pro-police. And it's because they don't want to even give an inch in the power of police. And in the meantime, what they're doing is just continuing to make the problem around policing worse, not better. It's very sad and very sad to see our governor do it. Um, our mayor did the same thing. So I don't know why I should be surprised that Pritzker doing it. Um, I think both of the programs related with police responding as a co-responder model are going to fail horrifically. But nothing new about Chicago politicians that are hacks. It is a common thing, unfortunately, for our city. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us this week. We're going to try to get one out in one of the two interviews that happens next week out next week. Um, and then so over the next couple of weeks, it'll be Professor Vargas and it'll be uh, Dan Mohopoulos from the WBEZ talking about his, um, his great story and stories on the sexual abuse scandal in, par in uh, Chicago Park District. Also, ladies and gentlemen, go to CJP's website and you will get um, what is our first real um, big deep dive into policy recommendations for accountability and transparencies in Chicago. And um, it was published on the 17th. I really recommend that you go check it out. We're happy to answer any questions you have. Send us emails at infochicagojustice.org and I will answer them on the pod or hit us up on any of our social media and we will answer those questions also for you. Okay, thank you very much. And I will talk to you uh, hopefully next week. Bye.